This morning we'll read verses 35 through the end of the chapter, verse 51, and that will be our text as well. Beginning of verse 35, again the next day John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus, as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is translated, or which is to say, when translated, teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that you would give us light into your word by your Holy Spirit, the great teacher. Convict us of our sins. Help us to lean on the Lord Jesus Christ and follow him. We pray in his name and for your own glory. Amen. You may be seated. So remember that as we are going through the Gospel of John, that this is the Apostle's witness, his testimony of the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus, who He is, and why He came to earth, what it is He came to accomplish. And uh, remember that He tells us as to why He's written this account in chapter 20, in verse 31. In chapter 20, verse 30, John says there, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. And so the implication is, I could have said much more. Verse 31, but these are written that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And so this is why John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has given us this account 
of the Lord Jesus. It was that we may know Him, and that knowing Him we may call upon Him and believe in Him. And by believing, he says, have life in His name. And so already we've looked at John's prologue at the very beginning of chapter 1, and he has uh, given us a preview of things to come in his account, who Jesus is. He is the Word, the eternal Word made flesh. He's taken on himself human flesh, a nature like ours. We've been introduced to John the Baptist and the purpose of his ministry to highlight the coming of the Lord, the Lord Jesus. And as John would go on to say, he, Jesus, must increase I, John the Baptist, must decrease. And so now in our text this morning, we, we get to meet the first disciples. And of course, for the first time, really, we, we are introduced to Jesus himself. And so we'll meet Andrew, we'll meet Peter, Philip, Nathaniel, and Jesus. And uh, as we look at them this morning, I just want to uh, categorize the sermon, divide the sermon in two heads. Uh, we'll look at the human witnesses here that John brings to our attention. Then we'll see the divine witness, Jesus himself. And as we think about this, at the end we'll make uh, three marks of a true disciple of Jesus Christ. So first of all, then, these human witnesses, that's there in verses 35 and 37. Beginning there, uh, we are told in verse 35 that John the Baptist stood with two of his disciples. He sees Jesus walking and again, that's his message. He says it. Behold, take note, the Lamb of God. This is the Lamb that God has provided. That God will offer on His altar on behalf of His people. And then it says in verse 37, The two disciples heard Him speak, and they followed Jesus. And so we see John the Baptist being faithful to his calling that God has given to him. And he is handing off the disciples to Jesus here. Behold the Lamb of God. You guys go now and you follow Him. And uh, as we think about that, you know, leaders of the church, ministers, pastors especially, need to think about this. It's not our calling to keep the sheep so dependent upon us that they lose sight of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to be followers of men. Paul did say, follow me, but he qualified it, didn't he? He said, follow me as I follow Christ. And so the minister's task is to point others to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are salt and light of the earth. Jesus tells the whole church, and so that's our calling as well. So John is being faithful there to his calling. And uh, there are two disciples uh, spoken about here in these first few verses. Who are they? <clears throat> well, a little farther down in the text, we, we find out. Um, in verse 40, it says, One of the two who heard John speak and followed him, Jesus, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And uh, we suspect that the other of the two disciples mentioned here is the writer of this gospel, John the Apostle. And uh, one reason we find that is because he was modest to mention his name. Remember, he does refer to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And you might think, well, that's prideful, but I think he was overwhelmed by the love of Christ. He doesn't mention his own name. And he mentions... Um, here, the, the timing and, and so forth, and um, well, I'll come back to that in just a moment. If you look there in uh, verse 39, Jesus said to them, come and see. 
They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. And so again, you know, this is this is John speaking, writing, and John remembers the precise hour that he met Jesus. We need to take note of that. Now, some of you have grown up in the church, you've grown up in a Christian household, and there was never a day that you can remember where you didn't know or love Jesus and praise God for that. But for those of us who may have grown up in a Christian home but came to saving faith in Jesus later in life, perhaps lived like a prodigal for a while and the Lord brought us home, we remember. We remember there's at least a season in our lives where we were introduced to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're introduced to John the Baptist and then Andrew here in our text and John uh, the, the Apostle. And so, it says in verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he, Andrew, first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. And so Andrew is introduced to Jesus and then Andrew goes to his brother Simon And bring Simon to Christ. To Jesus. And so we learn more about Andrew's brother. uh, There at the end of verse 42. Beginning at the middle. It says, now when Jesus looked at him. He said, you are Simon the son of Jonah. Simon bar Jonah. You shall be called Cephas. Which is translated a stone. And so, Simon is, in the Greek, Petros, rock, a stone. And Jesus says, well, you're going to be called now Cephas, which is stone. And the idea with Cephas is that it's a larger stone, a ledge, perhaps a cliff. And the idea is that Peter is going to be the one who is like a solid rock, unyielding, unwavering. So that's the name that Jesus gives to Peter. And remember that great confession of Peter in Matthew 16 and verse 18. Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? They say, this guy, this guy. And he says, who do you say that I am? And then Peter says, you are the Christ. The son of the living God. And then Jesus turns to Peter and he says, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. So we're introduced to Andrew, John, and Peter, and then after that, Philip and Nathaniel in verses 43 through 46. So in verse 43, we are told about Philip. Jesus wanted, wanted to go to Galilee, so he found Philip and said to him, follow me. And that's Jesus' call to discipleship. Perhaps you've read the Gospels, I assume many of you have, and And you know that this is Jesus calling these men to become fishers of men. And so we have Philip in verse 44, who's from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. He goes, verse 45, to Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses 
and the law, and also the prophets spoke Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And so what do we find Philip doing? The same thing that Andrew did, the same thing that John the Baptist did, pointing men to Jesus, bringing men to Jesus Christ. And so Philip goes and he introduces Nathanael to Jesus. He says, we found him, we found the Messiah, the one about whom Moses wrote, the one about whom the prophets testified. And if that sounds like the end of Luke's gospel in chapter 24, it's because it is like that. Remember Jesus on the road to Emmaus, he's walking with the disciples and he showed them how the Christ must suffer. He, he began with Moses, the first five books of the Bible. And he showed from there that the Messiah must come, he must suffer in the place of his people. And so Jesus here early in his ministry was talking with these disciples, no doubt he showed them the same thing. And so as we read the Old Testament, let us not miss the, the great theme that Jesus is coming what it is that he would do for his people, those who would call upon him. And so there in verse uh, 45, it also says that this Jesus is Jesus of Nazareth. And he is Jesus of Nazareth, not because he was born there, but because he spent so much of his life there. And he's the son of Joseph, not the physical son of Joseph, but Joseph was his guardian, his Stepfather, if we want to put it that way. Jesus, of course, being born of the Virgin, Mary. And so we're introduced here to Nathaniel, Philip and Nathaniel. And uh, by the way, we go back a little bit. Uh, at the end of verse 38, Jesus seeing those two disciples, he says, what do you seek? They ask where he's staying, verse 38. Verse 39, he says, come and see. And so these disciples, what they needed was more than just a few sentences from the Lord. They needed a pretty lengthy conversation with this one that John is saying is the Lamb of God. So I want to point that out because I hope to come back to it a little, little later. And so then Nathaniel, back in verse 46, hearing about this Messiah, the alleged one who is the Messiah, he says, well, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, um, that's kind of like somebody from Georgia saying, can anything good come from Alabama or Florida? You know, um, you, know you have all these college football rivalries, and I've, I've heard a, a UGA graduate say, the only good thing to come out of Alabama is I-20. And, uh, of course, he, he said that tongue-in-cheek. But uh, evidently, there's some rivalry here between these towns, and... Uh, that may have been a saying in their day. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, Jesus comes from Nazareth, so yes. But um, Andrew, or Philip rather, he doesn't take the bait on that one. Notice in verse 46 what he says. He says, come and see. What, what is um, uh, Philip trying to do with Nathaniel here? He's not going to engage in this lengthy argument and debate. He's trying to get him before Jesus. And today, when we want to lead people to Christ, we do this thing called apologetics, no doubt. We defend the faith, but the power is in the Word. And uh, so often, it is good to get people into the Gospel of John and just tell them, just, just read it. Just read it. Because the Word of God is living, it's powerful, it's active, 
It's the inspired, all authoritative Word of God. It's not just a book. It's the Holy Book. Because it comes from God. And God uses it to save men. And so, Nathaniel is brought to Jesus. And so he asked that question. And uh, so we have here these, these human witnesses that John the Apostle tells us about. And then that the last part of our text this morning, the end of this first chapter, John tells us about the divine witness, Jesus himself. In verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and so Jesus says about him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. What does he mean? Well, as the Bible says in Romans 9, 6, not all Israel is Israel. Just because a person is a member of visible Israel does not mean they are part of spiritual and true Israel. Same is true today. Just because somebody walks a church aisle or joins a church does not mean that they are part of the spiritual, the true church of God. And so Jesus is pointing that out. As uh, Paul says in Romans 2, he, he defines for us who indeed is a true Israelite. In uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 23, um, it says this. I think I'm in the wrong passage there. Uh, Romans 2.29. It says, But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. So Jesus knows Nathaniel before he puts his eyes on Nathaniel. He can perceive who he is on the inside. He sees to the heart. And he says about Nathaniel, he is one in whom there is no deceit. This is a straightforward guy, this Nathaniel. But he's obviously questioning the identity of Jesus. And so then Jesus reveals himself to Nathaniel. If you look there at verse 48, Jesus said to him, he answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Remember who Jesus is. He's not only the one who was born of a woman. He was born of a virgin. And He is the eternal Word who has taken upon human flesh, taken upon Himself human flesh. So He's both man and God. God and man. Two natures united together inseparably. The human nature, the divine nature. In one person forever. And so Jesus, at times as we read in the Gospel, He was conscious of the fact of who He was, the Son of God, the God-man. And so being that person, He knew Nathaniel even before Nathaniel was born. Can you imagine if someone comes to you and there is this, this buzz about who He is and He's able to tell you everything that you've ever done. Like Jesus said, what if he came to me today and said, Kevin, I saw you when you were under the tree. And uh, you were at your grandmother's house who always said you were as good as gold. And you were eight years old. And just because you wanted to see if you could do it, you took a big rock and you threw it and you, you made it to land on a bird and killed that bird. I never told anybody that, I don't think. I would know that this is the Son of God. I would at least know that this guy somehow knows everything about me. 
But Jesus knows something here. He puts something positive, I think, there in verse 48. Perhaps uh, Nathaniel was meditating. He was praying to the Lord, perhaps. Maybe he was trying to figure out who the Messiah is. We aren't told. But we have here in verse 49 this confession. Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. These are titles of the Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. The anointed king, the prophet, priest, and king of God. You know, it's kind of like Psalm 139. If you've read that, you know David says, Oh Lord, such knowledge is too much for me. He's talking about the knowledge of God. God's omniscience that he is all-knowing. He says, before I rise up, you know where I am. My going out and my coming in. Behold, before I speak a word, you know it all together. Before it's on my tongue. He confesses, this overwhelms me. And here Jesus is that God. He's part of that trinity, that triune Godhead. And so Nathaniel confesses him to be the Messiah. And so then in verse 50 and 51... Uh, we find out who Jesus is and why He has come. It's put in another way. In verse 50, uh, it says, Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Such as? Well, verse 51, Jesus says to him, Most assuredly, I say to you hereafter, you shall see heaven open." And the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. What is Jesus talking about? This goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 28. To Jacob's vision. Where there's this ladder going to heaven. And the angels ascending and descending on that ladder. There's a difference though between Genesis 28 and what Jesus says here. In uh, Jacob's vision, the old commentator Leon Morris notes this. It's very insightful. He said this, In Jacob's vision, there's no mention of the heavens being opened, while here, these words of Jesus, no mention of the ladder seen by Jacob. In Jacob's vision, there's no mention of the heavens being opened, and here, Jesus' words, there's no mention of the ladder seen by Jacob. In both passages, of course, there is communication between heaven and earth. And the point is, is that Jesus himself is the link between heaven and earth. The latter has been replaced by Jesus himself. The angels will uh, descend and ascend upon the Son of Man. And now the heavens are opened. You know, it's kind of like that old Lexus router. You who are old enough remember that brand, right? That's a really neat story. I didn't know this. It's one of those American success stories, if that's what you want to call it. Uh, this couple uh, from Taiwan, they came to America in 1988, and uh, they started this company, and they, they made these routers. Eventually, they were uh, bought out by Cisco in 2003, I think it was. But their router, called the Linksys, the Link System, was designed to link every household to the resourceful World Wide Web. 
And the only way you can get to the World Wide Web is for you to go directly through that router, the Linksys router, that link between your house and whatever's out there. And Jesus himself is the great link between us and heaven, earth and heaven. He is that ladder. If you want to get to heaven, you have to go through Jesus Christ. And because he's come now, the heavens are open. They're available to us. And that's uh, the point of what Jesus is talking about here. And so as I break this passage into two, two sections, the human witness and the divine witness, I think we ought to note that every witness of the Lord Jesus Christ is a divine witness. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament shows forth His handiwork. Every time the gospel message is spoken, is preached, is taught, that is a divine witness because that message comes from heaven, from God Himself. And of course, as Jesus will go on to say in John 6, 44, no man can come unto me unless the Father who has sent me draw him. And remember Peter's confession, I mentioned it earlier in Matthew 16. After he makes that wonderful confession, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus looks at him and says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. He says, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. And so it's not because Simon is so smart that he figured it out. Now Jesus, he just in a quick phrase packs all of this theology, soteriology, the doctrine of salvation into that statement. He says, my Father, which is in heaven, has revealed this to you. Our hearts are dead hearts. We're in this world when we come into it dead in our sins and trespasses. Ephesians 2.1 need to be made alive by the Spirit. John's going to talk about that. Jesus is going to talk about that in chapter 3 of the Gospel of John. Now, as we think about this uh, account with these um, human witnesses, the divine witness, Jesus Himself, what should we conclude about true discipleship? There's more that we could say, but I'm just going to draw from passage this morning. I think first of all, what we should note is that a true disciple is one who desires to know Jesus. To put it simply. A true desire, or rather a true disciple desires to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, knowing Him savingly means you love Him. And uh, there's all of this this chatter about who is this man and the disciples are coming to him and they're bringing others to him. They want to know him. They want to have this conversation with the one who claims to be the son of the living God. You know, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has put eternity in their hearts. And that means that every single human being knows that there is something more to this life, that there is something higher than this earth. There is one who has created all these things. And He is the reason for our existence. Some have said there's this this hole in our hearts. 
And only Christ can fill it. People try to escape the knowledge of God through entertainment, perhaps through drugs and alcohol, sex, rebellion against God, maybe buying stuff, maybe you're a hoarder and we don't know it. Um, Could be anything. But we were made to glorify and enjoy God. And we can only do that now through the Lord Jesus Christ. And when a person um, comes to Jesus, it's only because God has been working in their hearts. We love Him because He first loved us. And so a true disciple then is one who seeks to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And knowing Him then loves Him. And knowing and loving Him, He follows the Lord Jesus Christ. Is this true of you? Do you know Jesus Christ this way? Do you know Him more than a good teacher? Do you know Him more than maybe so many people know Him? That guy that's mentioned somewhere in the Bible? Do you know Him as the Son of God, the Son of Man, your Savior? That's the question. A disciple is one who learns. That's what the word mathetes means in Greek. A learner. And so we're continually learning about Christ. We're following Him. and learning more about Him. Today we follow Him through reading the Scriptures. We follow Him through biblical preaching and teaching. And that's why preaching and teaching is so important. Biblical preaching and teaching, I should say. So a true disciple is one who longs to know Jesus. Come and see is the invitation of the Savior. Second, a true disciple is one who leads others to Jesus. Now I know where I am. I know I'm in a Reformed church, a Presbyterian and Reformed church. I know many of us don't come from that background. But we see that here, don't we? A true disciple is one who, who loves Jesus and he wants others to love Jesus. You know, you go to your siblings and you bring them. You try. Have you heard about Jesus? Have you seen your own sin? Have you seen God's divine remedy for that sin? The Bible says there is this place called hell. It's full of worms. They never die. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth. This great chasm. It's outer darkness. It's eternal death. You want people to know. I mean, we have John the Baptist introducing all these people to Jesus. We have Andrew here introducing his brother to Jesus. We have Philip introducing Nathaniel to Jesus. That's kind of the pattern, isn't it? That's the Great Commission, isn't it? Make disciples of the nations. How do you make a disciple of Christ? You lead them to Jesus Christ. And sure, there is the office of evangelist. He's called by the church, called by God, I should say, and confirmed by the church to be an evangelist, to to go out and preach officially. But, you know, if you turn to Acts chapter 8, you don't have to, but if you go read the first eight verses, you will find that the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. The church, because of persecution, was scattered elsewhere. And the Christians who were scattered elsewhere went around doing what? Preaching the gospel. And so finally, uh, I think it was Philip, who was ordained, came down and preached the gospel. He gave confirmation to the message that went before him. And so it's not either or. It's not everybody's an evangelist officially. 
Or it's not, there is an evangelist and only he preaches the gospel. He preaches officially as the herald of Christ. It's both, right? The woman at the well in John chapter 4, she meets Jesus, we'll see. Jesus tells everything about her. He's the Messiah. She came to get living water. She came to the well, but she, she found the source of living water herself, the Lord Jesus Christ. She leaves her water pot. She goes to the city. She tells everyone else, I found the Messiah. Why? Because here's basically a harlot. Her conscience has been eating her. Her sins have been forgiven. And she wants others to know the forgiveness of sins. So she goes and she tells others about Christ. 1 Peter 3.15, we read that earlier. As God's people, we all are called to be ready to give an answer. Apologia in the Greek. An apologetic, not an apology, but a defense of the Christian faith. Are you ready? Could you begin to tell someone about Jesus? I'm not asking you if you've read Burkhoff's Systematics and know it front to back. Read it. But what I'm asking is can you tell someone who Jesus is to you? What He has done for you? And how they may receive the same? That's it. I was a sinner. It's wretched. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God, who is rich in mercy. You know, if you read your Bible enough and pray enough, we never do those things enough, by the way. But for this, you can, you can get to a certain point. If you read your Bible and pray, I believe the Lord will give you passages of Scripture to show to other people. And uh, while we're talking about this, you just you never know who you're going to lead to the Lord, right? Think about it. Um, John leads these people to the Lord. They're the future apostles. Andrew leads his brother to the Lord who becomes Peter, the apostle Peter. Parents, you lead your children to Christ. You know, maybe you've got a wayward child. You know, mothers, maybe you can be like Monica. Monica in the 400s who had prayed for her son in North Africa for years. And her son, after being the prodigal, heard some kids say, play nearby, take up and read. He grabs the Bible and it says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was saved. And that was Aurelius Augustine, the quote, as we call him, the great church father who did much for the kingdom of God. Was he perfect? No. But the point is, his mom prayed for him. And no doubt she was influential in his conversion. You never know who you're going to lead. Maybe a co-worker, family, or friend. Or maybe you're like that pitiful 19th century Methodist preacher. I mean, I guess you have to be a preacher, but but this illustrates what I'm talking about. There was this 19th century London pitiful Methodist preacher, and historians tell us that he was a shoemaker probably by trade, and he went into the pulpit, he read from Isaiah 45, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, He stuck to the text. He was faithful to stick to the text. And at the end, he called those with him to Christ. And he says, look unto me. I'm sweating. 
great drops of blood. Look unto me, I am hanging on the cross. I am dead and buried, I'm risen. I'm at the Father's right hand. And there sat in that congregation was a man who needed to hear those words. And he was converted. And that man, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, became one of the greatest preachers London has ever known. Because someone preached the gospel. And when the gospel comes to the city, Acts 8.8 says there is great joy in the city. Historians of the church, they tell us that the early church, in the early church, people came to Christ not through these grand crusades, but people came to Christ in shops, in kitchens, and in the marketplace. Because where we go, in that sense, Christ can go. Our mouths can speak a word on behalf of our Savior. Third and last, a true disciple is a work in progress. Consider Exhibit A, Peter. A true disciple is a work in progress. Here's Peter, who is this little rock. Jesus says, you're going to be a stone. You're going to be like Gibraltar, maybe. You're going to to be steadfast, unmovable, unshakable. Peter was hardly that as we read the pages of the Gospels, right? Uh, To quote one man, he says, Peter appears in all the Gospels as anything but a rock. He is impulsive, volatile, unreliable. But that's not God's last word for Peter. And nor is it God's last word for you and for me. Think about Peter. He often misunderstood the teachings of Jesus on the pages of the Gospels. He and others tried to prevent parents from bringing their small infant children to Jesus. Um, He doesn't have time for that. He's really busy over here. No, totally misunderstood. Um, He did walk on water, but he took his eyes off Christ and he began to sink in despair. He told Jesus to get get away from him because Jesus knew his heart and he told Jesus, "I'm, I'm a sinner. And of course, he's the one who argues with Jesus about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. It's Peter who falls asleep with some others while Jesus is not too far away praying in agony. And, and who is it we find cutting off ears in the garden? It's Peter. And there's Jesus picking him up, putting him back on. It was Peter who denied Christ three times. And Peter who eventually went back fishing. Think about that. But Jesus. Jesus, the good shepherd, he goes after the sheep, pursued the disciples. He pursued Peter. He cooks breakfast for Peter. And he restores Peter and gives him three chances to affirm him just as he had denied him three times. And even after that, he equips Peter on the day of Pentecost. Peter becomes that mighty force for the gospel and kingdom of God. And even after that, he fell dead into sin. Galatians 2, you can read about it there. He was embarrassed when the Gentiles were coming into the church. Paul, an apostle, rebuked him. 
But even then, being the child of God and son of God that he was, he repents and God restores him. Again and again and again. And this is true of you and me, isn't it, beloved? We're works in progress. Jesus is not only our great justifier, He's our great sanctifier. You see, He called Peter the rock who Peter would become. Through many trials, He would show Peter time and again, without me you can do do nothing, without me you can do nothing, without me you can do nothing, without me you can do nothing. And finally, you can do all things through me, the one who strengthens you. You can be that rock. Imperfect in this life, yes. And you see, God calls us beloved saints. Holy ones. Paul says to the saints who are at Rome. To the saints who are at Ephesus. Are we perfectly holy this side of heaven? No. Does God call us holy? Does He see us as holy in Christ? Yes, absolutely. Positionally, we are. Practically, we are not. And so God is working in each of our lives who belong to Him to mold us and to shape us to be more like Jesus Christ. To be holy as He is holy. And so in Hebrews 4, 14, we have that promise, seeing. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and grace to find help in time of need. And so, beloved, you know the grace and mercy of God through the Lord Jesus Christ, that He will never leave you nor forsake you. Take comfort in that this morning. And as you know yourself, that you are imperfect, that you are like Peter, Remember that your brothers and sisters in Christ too are like Peter. And we're all on this journey together to become who that God has already said that we are. And for now we are His disciples and we are holy in Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word, for Your promises. We thank You for John's testimony. And and seeing the life of Peter, who you called him to be. And by your grace, and the power of your spirit and your word, made him to be. We pray that you would make us to be strong witnesses for you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.